Hello, Night Nation, and welcome back to another episode of the Nightcap Podcast, and Happy New Year. Uh, I'm your host, Sean Stewart, and I'm here with my co-host, Tony Cummings. How's it going, Tony? It's going great. Happy 2023 to everybody. Uh, glad to be back recording with you guys. We're here recording on the night of the national championship, so we'll definitely talk about that later. Um, but yeah, we're ready to rock and roll. Go Knights, charge on 2023. We got a lot of stuff to talk about, a lot of news, and we're here to bring it to you. Absolutely. Thanks, Tony, for that. And yeah, we're definitely excited to, to get back at it and uh, you know definitely start bringing you some of that off-season content you're looking for. Um, but with that, you know, today we really want to start on our season recap, talk about how we're feeling about our nights. Uh, we've had a lot to process over the last few months with the season ending and, you know, the, the month of December is just frantic in general with the transfer portal and early signing day and then you take bowl season and, and conference championships into, into play. There's a lot going on, so we've got a lot to talk about today. Uh, but really what we want to start the show off right off the bat is uh, – Really talking about how we're feeling after that bowl game, after uh, you know a nine and five season, uh, given the expectations coming in. Uh, what's your first reaction to how the season played out? I mean, a lot of ups and downs. It felt like a roller coaster of uh, emotions. When we beat Memphis, Tulane, and Cincinnati, I mean, I, I felt we were on top of the world. I felt like UCF was back. I was so excited. I was already looking the book. Uh, my hotel room in Dallas, looking at flights at the combo, you know, because I thought all we had to do is beat Navy that's only won a couple games, and USF, come on, it's going to be a cakewalk. That's what my feelings was at the time, so I was seriously already looking to go to Dallas. Yeah, that's not what happened, so, you know, it, it, the emotions went, you know, on the downturn on the roller coasters, we lost the Navy, and I, I got to be honest, you know, I'm going to take off my UCF goggles, and again, I'm going to keep it real how I really feel because last year we lost at Navy. We did have our backup quarterback start for the first year, but I still felt like we should have beat Navy last year. But, I, you know, I gave the team a pass. I made excuses for them. I, you know, the whole Navy's, you know, style of play. So then this year I could not – they had a whole year under the belt. I could not believe that we were going to lose this game. And we lost it. So I have no excuse. I'm not going to sugarcoat it for them. It was an unacceptable loss. And then the USF, you know, I'm, I'm there at the game. That was a hell of a roller coaster. We're whooping them. And then all of a sudden, they come almost back to beat us. Thank goodness we won that game. But, um, so, I don't know. It's, 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 been a, it's been a roller coaster. So, how do I feel about the season? I feel disappointed because I, I feel like we should have been at the Cotton Bowl. We should have played USC. But, hey, you know, we lost to Tulane. They deserved it. They beat USC. So, kudos to them. But I was not happy with this. Even though it was a nine-game season, I'm a little bit very disappointed because I feel like we had everything ahead of us. Yeah, I hear you. You know, I think anybody that listened to our season preview, I think, will understand that we had pretty high expectations for this team coming into the season just based off the talent we thought that was returning, the transfers that were coming in, the recruiting class that Gus brought in. Um, you know, I thought that we were pretty – well, pretty pretty well on our way to a conference championship type season. And, um, you know, it was really kind of playing out that way. But, uh, you know, throughout the season, I think there were a couple of warning signs that kind of, you know, really reared their head at the end of the season that unfortunately we, we saw play out. I think one of our biggest problems that we had this season was our inability to play offense in games that our run game didn't carry the day. Um, you know, if we... I think if we could have reacted a little differently from a passing perspective, I think that some of those other games we could have won. And we'll go into kind of why I, I think that 
Um, you know, it's really interesting. And again, we'll go deeper into some of the changes for next year. But anybody that saw uh, the press conference with uh, Darren Hinshaw, the new offensive coordinator with Gus Malzahn, and then how Malzahn felt about that hire, led a lot with the passing game and how he felt, you know, the downfield passing game was affected. Um, and you saw it kind of fall apart at the end of the season, especially, uh, you know, we saw the whole Mikey Keene JRP and the whole red shirt uh, issue as the playoffs the end of the year. Yeah, and with Tommy Castellanos, it was just a really clunky end of the season. I mean, what are your thoughts on how that QB uh, redshirting kind of played out? Yeah, I was thinking about it just now while you were talking about that. Just the mismanagement of managing the QBs uh, long term. You know, in the beginning, it was kind of cute that Tommy got to play a couple minutes and scored a touchdown. And we were like, ooh, look, we got our, you know, our future QB. He played for two minutes. But, man, that was a waste of a game because down the road later we needed him. And we had to use him, and he burnt his red shirt. So, I mean, we should have, you know, I, I should have got managed better. I mean, in hindsight, we're, I'm playing Monday Monday back quarterback. But uh, when you look at it overall, he should have not played those meaningless games if we we're going to need him later. Um, so, that you know, so I wasn't really happy with the whole management of Mikey Keene, of Tommy's uh, burning the red shirts. So I don't know. Um, so that's how that's how I feel. I feel like it was mismatched. So I am excited that Gus is going to let um, Hinshaw come in and be the full offensive coordinator. Let him focus on that. So Gus can do what he does best. And he even I think mentioned in the press conference about fundraising, about making sure he's on top of the NIL and the the transfers. And the, it's just a whole other ballgame that he's managed now that we're going into the Big Twelve. So that's a positive sign. Yeah, and I think you know I, I wonder if kind of how he mentioned, you know, especially if we get towards the end of the year and, um, you know, with recruiting and NIL and all that being a huge focus of his and wanting the new offensive coordinator to spend a little bit more time on that. I wonder if that's really what we were watching in terms of the development of John Rice Plumlee. Um, you know, he's obviously an electric talent who he had some games where, you know, he was up cl- getting close to 200 yards rushing. Um, he's clearly a, a very, very good college football player, but, I do wonder if he has another gear, if he can develop as a passer a little better, because I don't know if we saw him improve to the level we wanted to see as the season went along from just a pure passing perspective. And if that was happening, you know, maybe a more, you know, obviously being a head coach, I'm not saying Gus isn't focused. Of course he's overly focused, but having to focus on so many extra things, did that impact Plumlee's development this season? I mean, I would say so. But another thing about Gus's offense would have a talent like JRP. JRP's an athlete, and yes, he can run. But, you know, in hindsight, when you look at players that probably would be really good in that offense, I would say it'd be a player like Tim Tebow, a nice, big, bulky guy that can run and get take those hits and can stay healthy, Cam Newton. But if you don't have that body type, eventually – Things aren't the way they were 10, 20 years ago when maybe Gus created this offense. Now the, the defensive players are bigger, stronger. You know, you got freshmen coming in that are just as big as seniors, you know. So it's like it's not the same ballgame. So it's like you're taking a lot of hits running the ball like that. So I think JRP was great. If he would have been healthy, I mean, probably a chance we could have went undefeated. But you could tell towards the end of the season he was just hurting. And, you know, more power to him. I give him a lot of props because he played injured. And he fought. He cares about UCF because 
he could have he could have quit and he never quit. He was supportive of Mikey King and the public, supportive of the team. He was a team first guy, and he's definitely an athlete. But uh, towards the end, I mean, he was struggling. The two just if you compare the two lane games, I don't even think necessarily the two lane guy was better defending us per se. It might have seemed like that with the results, but JRP he was just slow compared to the previous game. Yeah, I'm glad you said that because I do think injuries play a huge part, and you're absolutely right. Uh, you know, a mix of just his overall size plus just how risky the the play uh, of the way he plays the game. It's extremely risky. I mean, you know, the the maybe we don't even see Keen if he doesn't get hit in some of the ways he got hit. You know, we got a concussion against uh, Cincinnati that was pretty clear. He was trying to get up and. You know, he, he stumbles. I mean, it's hard hits from having to run constantly. And, you know, he was our leading rusher this year at the quarterback position, having missed a few games. So, I mean, that's that was the kind of load we're talking about. But having said that, we kind of needed that from an offensive perspective because I think our passing game was lagging behind. And if our run game didn't open up the pass game, we didn't really have it. So it was kind of a, a necessity, but you know what I mean? And it's kind of just... I'm hoping that as we get further into the Gus Malzahn um, tenure here and we start having, because remember, okay, he started with Dylan Gabriel. Of course, Dylan Gabriel was an amazing quarterback. He, he you know, built the offense to, to be for him. He had keen uh, start last season, right? And so then this season, he comes in, he's got a transfer, but his first recruit is Castellanos, who's a freshman. Uh, definitely don't want to, you know, thrust him in too early. Uh, so what I'm hoping is that some of these recruits that he's getting that really fit the offense he brings in, and as he does that, he, you know, we don't have to sacrifice the pass game for the run game. Yeah, no, I agree. Well, yeah, I mean, why don't you get into, like, the stats? Because you got some really good stats. Uh, one of the good stats you brought was how, like, our team did good compared to the top half, 65 teams. You want to explain that and go into that? Yeah, right? for sure. So just to kind of go over uh, just a couple of stats uh, on the season, just to give you a perspective on some of the units UCF had, um, you know, there are a total of 131 teams in FBS football. So really anybody, anything inside the top 65 is the top half of FBS, right? Which at the very least, if you expect to be a good team, you've got to have these units sitting in the top half. Um, so right off the bat, we can go through the offense. Um, and, and I think, you know, the offense was actually really good, um, to be fair. And, and to show that, we were 31st in scoring offense. Again, very good. Right on the edge of top 25, um, which is obviously the goal. Uh, we were 54th in passing, but we were 4th in the country in rushing. So we were very clearly effective at running the ball. And I think if you look at our nine wins, we were very able to run the ball during those games. The other five, we had a little bit of struggles, and I'll, and I'll go into that a little bit. Um, but in third down conversions, we were 16th. Again, third downs is the, one of the most important downs for an offense because it really can you stay on the field and, and sustain drives. If you can't do that, you're going to have a hard time getting into the red zone and scoring points. But really, here's where I think our offense got derailed in this season. We were 110th in red zone offense. To put that into perspective, when we entered the red zone, which is inside of the opponent's 20-yard line, basically 20 yards or less away from the end zone, we only were able to score a touchdown 40 times out of those 65, right? Which put us at 110 out of 131 teams in college football. So despite all the yards we were able to get, and despite all the points we were able to get, we still weren't converting some of those. And I think in our losses, you saw that a lot. So if I'm thinking about Louisville. There were two times that we were inside the 15-yard line 
that had we been able to punch it in, we lost that game by or, only four or points. Or Boomer play. I don't think he was playing yet, right? Right, exactly. Yeah. And we lost that game by only four points, right? Exactly. Then you think back to the um, – there's another game that I'm thinking about that we lost. Um, it wasn't the championship game, right, with Tulane? It was Navy. Navy, okay. We lost to Navy. That's a great example. Okay, we lost that game by a couple of points. But in that game, we had two trips inside of the 10-yard line that did not yield touchdowns. Either one of those – in either game, we could win both of those games. And so 110th in red zone, I think, masks a lot of things about this offense um, You know that I think did go well. Uh, we had a pretty talented offense, and I think if next year we can fix the red zone but keep up the same productivity, I think we'll be fine. To me, it's the defense that I'm really interested to see because I think the exact opposite effect happened to our defense. Um, they were fifth in red zone defense. And so they allowed very few points, which is, again, the goal of any defense, which was great. But is it sustainable based off their underlying stats? And what I mean by that is we were, despite being fifth in red zone defense, we were 46th in scoring defense, which is still good, top half. We were only not, we were 93rd in sacks. We were 69th in turnover differential, meaning we turned the ball over four times more than we were able to take it away. We were 63rd in third down defense. 57th in, in passing yards and 79th in rushing yards. So we were a back half of the of college football defense, but we were being propped up by a good red zone defense. Offense was being dragged down by a bad red zone offense. So I think overall, I think we've got some room for improvement in both sides. I'm excited to see if we can do it next year. Yeah, absolutely. Now, another thing that I wanted to talk about is um, – you know, looking at the splits from our, our running backs and our receivers, um, you know, I do think it's really interesting to see kind of how some of these played out. What was your uh, thoughts on how our running backs played? Bowser, R.J. Harvey, Richardson, what were your thoughts? At the, now that the, the season's over, I really liked R.J. Harvey. He was my favorite running back. I felt like when he got the opportunity, he maximized his, um, his carries. And I think you'll see it in the stats that you had – we had mentioned before we even started recording how Harvey had 118 carries and had 796 yards, whereas Bowser had 205 carries and had 799 yards, and he averaged 3.9, you know, average average on his carries. Um, the only thing difference with Bowser that I definitely got to give him props for is even though we struggled on, and that just shows we struggled in the red zone. He scored 16 touchdowns, and most of those were in that red zone area. So if it wasn't for him, our team would have been even worse in the red zone. So, uh, But, you know, I got to give you props because early in the original, our original podcast when you had your predictions, you predicted JRP was going to be our leading rusher, and that was the case. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, you know, obviously I, I expected it. Or I, I talked about it. I thought it could happen, um, but it's wild that that's how it came out. I think um, – but I don't know if that's a good thing. Uh, yeah, I'm glad you said that because that's my thoughts. Do you really want your quarterback to be your leading rusher? Not necessarily. You want it to be your running back. Yeah, I think it depends, right? I think that, to your point, I think it works really good when you've got a Cam Newton, Tim Tebow type. But when you've got a JRP type, um, it might be a little risky, you know? And I think we saw that play out. So it's going to be really interesting kind of see how that how that goes. Um, I do think Harvey, though, I'm excited to see what he does next year. Um you know, he had a great season and, um, you know, 
getting only 118 carries. He didn't really get to start really getting the bulk of the carries until later in the year. Absolutely. But now without Bowser here, I I wonder if, you know, he's he's got more to him. He's our leading back, in my opinion. But, yeah, I want to say he was MIA, like, the first four games. I don't think I had any playing time. Mm -hmm. And then finally he started getting playing time, and it was like – for us, it wasn't – for the, you know, hardcore UCF fans, it probably was a surprise because they knew that R.J. Harvey was slated to start last year. But then he got an injury either towards the end of the spring season or or the fall camp. Well, I think it was the fall camp, maybe, like right before the season started. So then all of a sudden, Bowser, at that point, was like our third-string running back we were expecting, ended up, uh, you know, doing great last year and not becoming our starter this year. But, yeah, R.J. Harvey, he's he's got the brain because he, he he's a QB here at Edgewater High School locally. He went to Virginia to be a quarterback. So you know he knows how to read the defenses. You know how to get through the holes. Very smart guy. You can even do a little wildcat with him, have him throw the ball. So I'm really excited about R.J. Harvey. I'm going to let him ahead of myself for next year, but I do love me some R.J. Harvey. Absolutely. I mean, he's he's great. I think that, um, you know, the carry – I think what's going to be interesting next year to also is, you know, having Harvey, obviously last year was a kind of a Bowser-Richardson one-two punch. Richardson's carries were significantly down this year. Um, he actually matched Harvey in catches, 22 each. Um, but he only had 54 carries to 118 for Harvey, which, I mean, I, I love Richardson. I think he's great, but Harvey deserved those carries. He was playing so well. Uh, but now you're taking the 205 from Bowser away. It's going to be really interesting how many goes to Harvey, how many goes to Richardson. Um, you know, do we see um, any other running backs like Jordan McDonald, who was a freshman this year, come in and play? Um, does he get some carries? And then also we see uh, Ryan O'Keefe. He had 23 carries, most of those on jet sweeps. Got to replace those. I, I'd say let's look for Xavier Townsend to see those. For sure, for sure, Xavier Townsend. But I had to crack a little joke, man, that we did a, earlier in our earlier podcast about Jordan McDonald, how he looked like a man. He looked bigger than Bowser. Mm-hmm. So as even a true freshman, he's a big boy. So he could have played at any school he wanted to, any SEC school would have took Jordan McDonald. So uh, I'm really excited about him. I definitely uh, we've had we have these other guys on the team, MAR, um, but he didn't do anything this year. So, you know, I'm expecting uh, Jordan McDonald to have a big year next year, and he redshirted this year, so he's gonna have a full year next year. You know, they're gonna let him go, and um, RJ Harvey should start. And I'd say Richardson should definitely get a lot of mix in there because, you know, he definitely uh, brings a different uh, style to the game that we need. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, we're really deep. I mean, we talked about it before the season, how deep we were, and a lot of the guys we talked about didn't even get to see the field because of how deep we are. And um, so, I mean, yeah, we are going to see 205 carries from Bowser Lee, but we're going to see a lot of other guys get some opportunities, even some guys we maybe hope get some opportunities, maybe don't because we're that deep at the position. And to show how deep we are, we didn't even recruit a high school running back this year so far. I mean, there's still another signing period coming up in February, but as of right now, if things play out, we won't take a high school running back. And that's how deep we are at running back. Mm-hmm. That's usually unheard of. I feel like every year UCF's recruited, as long as I can remember, at least always took one running back out of high school. Yeah. Yeah, that's absolutely right. Yeah. So, I mean, but, I, yeah, I'm not worried about it. I think we're in a really good spot. Um, you know, same thing. I know, um, you know, from a receiving perspective, um, you know, our leading receiver yards-wise yards, yards wise was Javon Baker, who luckily he's coming back with Kobe Hudson. Um, Baker had 56 catches, 796. Uh, yards. O'Keefe was our leading uh, receiver in terms of receptions with 73 catches, uh, with 725 yards. He definitely took some of the shorter screen passes where Javon Baker was more down the field. But 
you know, I feel confident, you know, watching Hudson, you know, really care, really come back and play really well. And Alec Holler is clearly our leading tight end, even though maybe we probably could stand to use our tight ends a little bit more. What do you think? I mean, we, we thought we were. We thought we were going to use uh, Kim Moore Gamble, but we didn't use him at all. Well, I guess that's another topic later. But, yeah, I'm excited about Holler, man. He's going to be a – he's a legend forever to me, man. Um, the way he caught that ball against USF and helped us win that game. That's uh, legendary, man. You know, I, I didn't know this, but, you know, the Holler cars in Orlando? Mm-hmm. That's his family, the, the Holler dealerships. I did not know that. Yeah, that's his family. I just found that out recently, man. I was wow. pretty, I was like, oh, wow. He, so, you know, this guy, uh, you know, I hate to say it, but he comes from kind of a rich family. And even with that, he still walked on to UCF. He still paid his dues. And it was his dream to come here. You know, and he, he caught that legendary catch against USF because I will tell you, man, I was in Tampa and I got family in Tampa and they expected USF to lose, but they were they were piping up when uh, USF was coming back. So Alex Holler, thank you, man. You saved the day because I didn't want to hear about USF beating us to my fa- while I was in Tampa. I didn't want to hear losing period, but I definitely want to hear losing that weekend. Thanks, you know. Yeah, and I definitely want to go back and recap what those last few games look like because uh, I don't know if that we've necessarily. Um, you know, recap them fully, but you're absolutely right. If you look at those last games, right, we we had just gone through the gauntlet that you talked about. All the teams that we thought, you know, could cause us problems in, in Cincinnati and Memphis and Tulane, we went through all of them, we beat them all. We were looking great going into Navy, USF. We lose to USF in a game at home that, I mean, to me, that was one of the most embarrassing home losses that I've seen at UCF. But then the following week, Without Holler's catch, and I mean, truthfully, I don't know if UCF you played. Meant, you meant Navy. You meant we lost the Navy. We lost the Navy. But yeah. then the following week. We played USF. We played USF. And at that game, I'm going to be honest with you, I don't know that UCF played well enough to win that game. I think they got they, they made some plays at the end to steal it more than they played that entire game ready to win. To be fair, Malzahn comes out and because JRP got hurt in that game and Keen had to come in. Another, what we were talking about, but Malzahn was saying, he's like, you know, the very beginning of that game, Plum Lee was running all over USF, and then he can't can't keep doing it in the second half. If he could, and we probably win that game easily. But, you know, again, like, I don't really understand why that game was as close as it was. But then we go into the Tulane championship game, and we definitely don't look as well as we should. And I understand all the mitigating factors in the bowl game against Duke. Obviously, we had transfers, uh, a few starters. But even still, yeah, that I, game should have been closer than it was. It definitely should have been closer. I mean, Duke was more – Duke wanted it more than us, I would say. It seemed like going into that game. And they were more – I don't think they lost many players in transfer and they were more ready to go. But I still think it's not an excuse, man. We, we have a lot of talent on this team. You know, I can't sit here and say, oh, I had plans to go to the Cotton Bowl to play USC and, and I was, I'm worried about playing Duke. Come on, man. Duke's like um, – for the most part, a bottom feeder in the AAC. They did have a good year this year. Their coaches, uh, I got to give him props. He's a good coach. I want to say he came from Texas A&M, and he's turned Duke like around. Elko. Yeah, so he's turned Duke around. I think he won Coach of the Year as well, or he won something with the AAC. I think he won AAC Coach of the Year. So I do got to give him props, but Duke was way more prepared for the game. They wanted him more. Um, so I don't know what was going on with our team. I mean, you know, there's a lot of speculation that our – Defensive coordinator didn't care, kind of out the door. Uh, was already interviewing for Auburn and other places at the time. 
before he took the Arkansas job. Who knows? I don't. That's all speculation. But the point of the story is the team should have been should have been ready to go. We got a lot of talent on this team. Um, but the one the positive that I'll say is we got to see a lot of our young guns come out. And uh, one of the things me and Sean talked off the podcast was uh, about the future, about these young guns, and we got to see him play. And uh, he's gonna go over that later, where he feels these players are gonna slide in, and I'll let I'll, I'll let him talk more about that later. But that's the one positive I'll say from the bowl game. But again, another disappointing loss. You know, I don't want to sound like a whiny fan. We won nine games. That's a positive thing. That's a great thing to win nine games. Uh, you know, that's what you want to shoot for. You want to win nine games and above. So on that note, that's a, it was a good season on that perspective. But we just had so much more high hopes for this team. At least I did personally. And I think a lot of UCF fans did. So it's just kind of disappointing. Yeah. I feel the same way. Um, you know, trust me. I, I, I agree with you. From the positive perspective, there's a lot of teams, you know, that would kill to – Think of a nine-win season as a disappointing season, for sure. There's a lot of schools that are just trying to figure out how to get to those those levels, and so from that perspective, you know, we've got to, you know, take everything here, you know, with a glass half full mentality. Having said that, though, we've got some issues that we've got to solve going into the Big Twelve. That if we don't solve, um, you know, we're going to have a hard time even potentially being bowl eligible next year. Um, you know, when I think about that loss to Navy. Um, you know, why did the offense look so bad for such a large stretch of the game, knowing that a win would help us host a conference championship game? I, I have some issues there, right? Because the the, the bowl game, a lo- there's a lot of mitigating factors. I'm not going to put too much stock into that. But we had the opportunity that if we could beat Navy, beat USF, we host Tulane at a conference championship game. We know how good we are at home. We know what that, that environment would have been like. And maybe we're able to win that game. So the Navy game is really, for me, the pivot point. Absolutely. And going even deeper than that, I think it has a lot to do with Plumlee being hurt and not being as electric from a running perspective without being able to make up for that lack of running with the passing game. I totally don't disagree with you there. But I still feel like this coaching staff mismanaged that game because there were some plays. Like, I don't remember the linebacker from Navy, but he was their best linebacker. And it, the same thing happened last year. They had an awesome linebacker, too, last year that killed us. But this year was a different linebacker for Navy. And he's their best player. How is it possible that nobody on the offensive line or on the offense is even, like, looking at this guy? There was a play where he blindsided Mikey Keene. And I'm just like, how is that even possible? Like, are we not prepared here? They didn't talk about him in the film room? Like, how does this guy, like, just get to, like, blindside our quarterback? And it's just like, things like that just made me be like, were they not prepared for this Navy game? Obviously not, because even though we lost by a little bit of points, in my opinion, they kicked our butt. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And I think that goes to being able to adjust, having the time to focus on the um, on the details of specific plays, specific situational football that Gus even alluded to in this most recent press conference where he turned over play calling to the new offensive coordinator. Um, I think that he is admitting that there were points in the season that there could be more attention to detail that he's hoping to get from this new offensive setup. Yeah. Um, Speaking of that, how do you feel about the uh, Henshaw coming back? I mean, I'm excited he's a UCF alumni. It seems like he's really passionate that he wants to be here. Um, Some people say they don't care about that. I do. I, I like to have our UCF alumni be a part of the program personally. But how do you feel about him coming? Well, I think he's a really, really great 
um, cross section of the two ideas of getting a guy that's familiar with your school and passionate about it while also getting a guy who's got a lot of experience. Um, 20 plus years, right? Yeah. I think, you know, the reality is, I don't know who, if fans aren't happy about this, my first question would be, who are you hoping to get? I know I saw a lot of things before I dive into Hinshaw, because I'm going to start by saying I love it. I absolutely love the hire. Before I tell you why, I want to go into who else are you going to get? You know what I mean? Like, I'm surprised he turned over calling plays, but I mean, you know, Chip Lindsey was a former head coach that just came here and just left to go to UNC so that he could call plays under Mac Brown. So, you know, I know there were rumors on social media that potentially we were talking to Scott Frost. I haven't seen anything totally confirm or deny that those things have happened. But having said that, I didn't really want Scott Frost back, to be honest. I got a question about that Chip Lindsey thing because I know what he made here at UCF. Do you know what he made it? What he got at the like the he must have got a pay raise. I'm assuming to go to UNC, but I'm not 100 percent sure about that. You know, I don't actually know. Scott, yeah. would you mind taking a look, seeing if we can find out if Chip Lindsey got a raise to go to UNC? It might not be out there, but I think it'd be interesting to know that because to me that would be part of it, right? The two things when when Chip Lindsey said, "Hey, look, I'm gonna I'm stepping away." The two things I really there are three things I think about with Chip Lindsey, right? He was already a head coach, right, and he got fired, so. He's probably looking to potentially be a head coach. Every move he makes is probably trying to figure out how am I going to be a head coach again. Then you think about the second thing. He's going to an already established Power 5 program in a pretty you know, prestigious place, UNC. They probably do have more money. They probably did offer him a little bit more. Um, how much, I don't actually know. Hopefully we can figure it out. Um, but then I think about calling plays. My first thing that I thought about was Malzahn. When he started to talk about taking the UCF job when he first took the job he said that his biggest mistake at Auburn was to give up calling plays and said he will never do it again in his entire career with two years down and he's giving up calling plays I was definitely surprised when Henshaw and him admitted that I thought that was part of a reason Chip Lindsay would have left so like I I assume Lindsay knew that he was going to be giving up play calling duties so it has to be for maybe two of those other reasons that I suggested but I don't know. I don't know. But, I mean, to be honest with you, I, I don't really know how to feel about Chip Lindsey because, again, like, I feel like the offensive coordinator, in my mind, is the play caller. Yeah. yeah. And so Gus called plays last year. I, w- I will tell you one thing I do like about this hire. Um, not against Gus, but a lot of his hires are what they call, like, under his tree, his QB tree of players or connections. Henshaw has no connection to Gus, and I kind of like that. Like, you know, having a fresh perspective and coming fresh. Mm-hmm. And so, and he's he's had a lot of opportunities to learn from different coaches, and I, I'm excited to have him come on and bring those different perspectives to the team. Absolutely, and and you know, to go to Henshaw, um, I, I know you mentioned you know some people don't love maybe that he is. Uh, you know, he's, he's been at UCF or whatever, but I'll, I'll tell you this. I, I don't think it was that. I think that some people believe his resume and they don't see, he's not like the sexy hot hire like Scott Frost was coming from Oregon. You know what I mean? And then some people are like, Oh, you guys are just happy that he's a UCF alumni and that shouldn't matter. But and I, I think it's right. I think the right answer is what you said earlier. It's a balance. He is, he does come from our school. He knows our school. He knows the program. He got to play, not play. He got the coach, one year under Gus as an analyst with the defense. So he was part of that first year of Gus at UCF. But he also, you know, he bleeds black and gold because he was our QB. 
if I'm not mistaken, he's one of our, if not top three or top five QBs in history, record books for us. Um, and it just, you know, I'm just, I'm excited to have him for all those reasons. But one player, one person that you mentioned was uh, Scott Frost and they're the rumor mill. I'll tell you right now, man, I love what Scott Frost did for us. You know, I, I love what he did after especially us going, winning zero games the season prior and then the going undefeated the next year. That's amazing, and uh, putting UCF on the map. So I don't like necessarily the way Scott Frost left, um, but I will never forget what he did for us. But honestly, if Scott Frost, if they would have hired Scott Frost, I think that would have been a disaster because I know some of this, the way our fan base is, and that's why I said I didn't want to come off whiny because I think some of our fan base is coming off whiny. And as soon as something would have went wrong, they would have been like, fire Gus, fire Gus, bring Scott Frost. And we don't need that drama, you know. Where Gus is, who, who's our... I'm happy with Gus overall. Even though you might hear me say some things, nitpick here and there. Overall, I'm very happy with Gus. Mm-hmm. And I, I wouldn't want Scott Frost undermining him. Because I know the fan base, some of the fan base have just been all about Scott Frost. I mean, and they might have the reasons, but we don't need that drama, you know. Yeah, I think, you know, that kind of shows we're, we're making our way into being a bigger, a big-time program when you think about how our fans are this upset all the time, no matter what's going on. But, um, you know. I, that's I, what it is to be a big-time program now. <laughs> but, uh, but, yeah, no, I agree. I think, you know, I love Scott Frost. I think he did a great job. I think that, you know, if it ever made sense to have him back as a head coach, I wouldn't ever stop and say no to that. I think he's a great guy. But it's exactly what you said. I think him coming here as an offensive coordinator under Gus – there's no way for that to really end without controversy in my mind. There's no way that that's going to not be a distraction as much as I think his offensive mind could help uh, this offense, considering that their offensive mind, or the offensive game plans they have are relatively similar. I do think it could have helped. I just think given his previous track record and everything that's happened, that's too much. There's no way that could have, that could have worked. Now, having said that, right, when you think of Scott Frost, okay, and I think this is also part of why people might not love the idea of, you know, always having somebody that's that's familiar with your school because sometimes people are saying, oh, you're just hiring a Nebraska guy for Nebraska. You're hiring, you know, a Texas guy for Texas. Like, Makes sense. You know, do you need somebody like that? But the thing about those big-time schools, I feel like, is there's tons of those people around. You know, if you go to Texas, tons of guys on that staff probably went to Texas. Nebraska, same thing. These are established programs that have been around for many years. UCF doesn't have that. There's nobody. Out, there's not very many people on, on Gus's staff, at least especially on the higher-level coaching you know, aspects of the job that have any connections to UCF whatsoever. And for us to finally be at a point as an organization or as a, as a university that we've got people that have spent time here that feel the same way that we do about it. Uh, I, I don't think there's anything wrong with having some of that. Uh, just to go back to what Darren Hinshaw really means to UCF. He was our quarterback from 1991 to 94. He took us to the FCS playoffs in 93 he was, he's third all-time in UCF passing yards. Okay, so think about that. We've got a lot of great quarterbacks, Dante Culpepper. Uh, we've got Schneider. We've got Mackenzie Milton. We've got Blake Bortles. He's third in passing yards with over 9,000. He's number two in touchdowns. He even played on our basketball team in 1994. He was, our, uh, he was on the coaching staff as a grad assistant, a QB coach, and an analyst in 1999 and 2000. And then he came back in, in 2021 to be on Gus's staff. He said in his press conference that this is his dream job, and I believe him. And I don't think there's anything wrong with having somebody here that can convey that to offensive recruits. But my favorite thing about him is that he's not just a guy who's trying to cut his teeth in coaching. Stepping stone, and that's what we've had in the past. I mean, that's what – that's we, we just had that recently. T. Will left. He uses a stepping stone as well. 
mm-hmm. know. Um, he wasn't a defensive coordinator, to my, my understanding. I think he was a linebacker coach at Auburn. He was a linebacker coach at Miami for a quick minute. And then, you know, Gus believed in him, made him a defensive coordinator. And he uses a stepping stone and went to, to Arkansas. You know, I'm not going to knock him for doubling his salary. You know, you got to do what you got to do for your family. But I just wish he would have, you know, stayed on his team because we got a lot of big things happening. I don't know if the program can not necessarily pay the coaches right now, right now, because we're not really getting that Big 12 money right away. It's going to take, like, probably three years till we really start seeing that real, real Big 12 money because uh, technically right now we're still in the American. Um, but regardless of that, I'd like to transition to that and talk about, like, our future. We got two other coaches that came on board. Uh, first of all, let's talk about, speaking of linebackers, Ernie Smith. Am I saying it correctly? Uh, it's Ernie Sims. Real Sims. quick, before, yeah. Yeah, before yeah, we move ahead. on, I just yeah. want to say one more thing about Hinshaw. Yeah, please. I mean, I do think that he's got a lot of potential um, as, a, as an offensive play caller because of the time he spent in offenses around the country. He spent a, he spent a total of 10 years between Tennessee and... And Kentucky, at Tennessee, they were primarily a passing offense. In Kentucky, they were primarily a rushing offense. They said in the press conference they want him to come as a former quarterback to come modernize the offense and get us some deep shots. But he's got a background in understanding the running game. I think he's going to be a perfect balance. And if he can just add an efficient passing game to the running game that we already have, our offense is going to be unstoppable. And I'm super excited to see how that goes. Um, But to your point... Uh, with T. Will leaving to go to Arkansas, which again I think that happened super late in the cycle. I think a lot of uh, you know kind of caught people off guard, especially for him going for uh, the same position in Arkansas again. Another um, increase in pay, which actually Scott, uh, what were you able to find out for us? Um, let's see. All right, so he actually took a three hundred thousand dollar pay cut to come from Troy to UCF. So head coach to offensive coordinator took a three hundred thousand dollar pay cut. He actually now. Going to UNC got about a you know between a two hundred and fifty thousand to a four hundred thousand dollar increase to go to UNC. So he might actually be making more now than he did as a head coach at Troy. Wow. Which I'm sure played a part in his decision, right? Same thing with T. Will, right? We're talking about him going to Arkansas. I'm sure going to an SEC school, richest conference in the country, he's making some more money. Having said that, though, we did have to replace uh, a couple of coaches, right? Number one. We had to promote Addison Williams to defensive coordinator. And then we had to replace our linebackers coach because that's the area T. Will was overseeing. Um, and we replaced him with Ernie Sims, the former NFL linebacker who last season spent time as the linebackers coach uh, with the USF Bulls. So what are your thoughts on the defense? I'm excited about both these hires. Uh, I'll start off with uh, uh, the linebacker coach that we brought from USC. From what I've been hearing, I mean, the linebacker at USF is one of the big pluses for the the cows over there. So uh, glad that you know we got uh, took that off the board for them, and now he's going to be coaching our team and focus on that. Because linebacker, in my opinion, is still a, a weak point in our defense. And uh, point of that is that out of all the linebackers we had, even um, with some of the players that we had that stayed on. Our leading tackler was Jason Johnson with 126 total tackles. They came from the FCS as a transfer. I mean, he he wasn't on anybody's radar, you know, at all. And for him to be our leading tackler, I don't know. It just shows how weak the linebackers really were. Uh, good news, Jason Johnson said he's going to come back for another year, so we really need him, um, especially with the loss that we had recently with uh, a couple linebackers leaving. Uh, 
So I'm happy to have him. I'm happy to see what Ernie does with him. He's got a great pedigree. He was actually the number one recruit himself coming out of high school when he came out of high school. So he's been talented from high school. He played in the NFL. And um, I, I, I believe in him, and I, I think Gus Gus knows what he did behind him. And he already knows the area. He's already been recruiting the area. He already knows how to recruit Georgia. He already knows how to recruit Florida. So that's great for us. We're not – hopefully we don't lose a beat. Unfortunately, like you said, it's late in the cycle, so it wasn't affecting us um, this cycle. But hopefully next year we'll see what he can do on the recruiting. Uh, but the, speaking of recruiting, Addison Williams was the – was a great turnaround for Gus to turn that around in one day. And it proves it. It's not my opinion. It's actually speak a lot of the words. All our recruits, all our top recruits, all the recruits we wanted, that this is considered our best class we've ever, ever had, with multiple four-star recruits, with multiple recruits that other schools wanted that would have died for. We have players on our recruiting class this year that any school in the country would have took. Any Alabama, Michigan, TCU, Ohio State, the four teams in the, the playoffs, they all would have took these players. And they picked UCF. And I was, it was really great to hear that pretty much our whole defensive team, not just Addison Williams, is still on board. So I'm glad that Gus was able to manage that. So I got to give props on that. You know, it's not all negative. Kudos to Gus. Kudos to Addison Williams to keeping the, the defensive team together and keeping the recruits. So I, I, that's what I love about Addison Williams because already it paid dividends with our recruits staying on board. I totally agree. I think, you know, if you look, our, our top, I would say our top, what, four rated recruits are all on defense. And so, you know, if Addison Williams hadn't been, you know, as involved in that and wasn't, you know, building these relationships with these guys, a lot of them might have gone with T. Will. The only ones that did was uh, Michael and Andrew Harris right now. We're waiting to see if they're going to stick with their, uh, they opened their recruitment again, uh, two four-star linebackers from Lake Brantley. But we'll have to see. We'll get into that with recruiting. But in regards to Addison Williams being promoted to defensive coordinator, you know, after he got promoted, there were, you know, a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of people were talking about how it was really a matter of time before he was going to be a defensive coordinator somewhere um, because he was that – he's that highly uh, thought of in terms of his coaching acumen. So um, to be able to keep him on staff I think is a good thing. I think that giving him a chance as defensive coordinator is also a good thing because, again – I love T. Will. I think he was a really energetic guy. I think that he did good things with the defense overall. Uh, but again, like you said, I don't necessarily know that his particular position uh, played the best. I don't necessarily know that our defense was that great this last year without the red zone defense like we've mentioned. So I'm very interested to see if this defense is called differently and if we can maybe uh, get, get better in some of these different statistical categories uh, as we move forward. Absolutely, and one thing with Addison Williams, he does have some decent coordinator experience. He did uh, be, was a defensive coordinator for a year or two at another school, so at least he has uh, some experience in managing the defense as a whole. But and the other thing I like is that we have uh, Coach Gibbs, that was the DB coach at Missouri that came over to UCF, so he can he can handle the DBs and the cornerbacks as a whole. And now that way Addison Williams could just focus on the defense, the defense play calling, in my opinion, um, because Coach Gibbs can handle our, our cornerbacks and our safeties. So I think that's going to be a plus for us. Yeah, I completely agree. Um, I think we're in a good spot. I think given everything that's happened, I think overall we're coming out on the other side pretty well. Um, you know, given everything we've said, obviously we've talked a lot about this last season. Uh, looking ahead, it, you know, what's really exciting is that was our last season, the American – 
we're going into the Big 12, which, you know, is going to be a much tougher conference, which is great. Uh, as we're sitting here recording, um, you know, the national championship is going to start here soon. And the TCU Horn Frogs being in the national championship has got to feel good if you're Night Nation. Because, again, all of these years, getting into a BCS conference, trying to expand the playoff, all of this, what was it about? It's about giving us an opportunity that if we run the table, we go undefeated, we can make the national championship. TCU's mere presence here in the national championship shows what's possible if we can run the table in the Big 12. That's got to be exciting, right? Very exciting. I mean, you're right. It's the blueprint for us. And I'm not going to lie to you, man. I'm rooting for TCU tonight. Definitely my future Big 12 brothers. I mean, we're definitely going to play them. Um, but for now, you know, I'm not rooting for the SEC. I'm rooting for the Big 12. I want our Big 12 teams to do well. If we can't be in there, then I want them to do well. Because it just pays dividends for us in the future. It just shows that Big 12 is a big boy program. And there's a lot of talent. It's a, it's a very talented league. It's very underrated. I know SEC gets a lot of the pub. I mean, it probably has to do that the mega ESPN, you know, is really invested in them. Um, but now, now you know, people are going to see the Big 12. We'll see what happens. I know that TCU is supposed to be the underdog here tonight, but they've been the underdog the whole season. They weren't even ranked in the top 25 at all to start the season. Here we are in the national championship. So, And they beat a lot of those talented teams in the Big 12. So I'm super excited because, hey, you never know, man. <laughs> I mean, uh, next year... Um, we'll see what happens. I'm not going to have high expectations, but you never know. You never know. Who knows? Because like Sean said, we have the opportunity now to run the gauntlet. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, to get into that, right, talking about next year, uh, our expectations need to be in line with what is reasonable, okay? And what's reasonable, you got to understand, right? This year, we had the huge win against Temple. <laughs> Cupcake. Right? You know, we beat USF in a pretty close game, you know. And I, and you think about some of the teams on our schedule. Yes, Tulane can go up against any team in the country in my mind. Cincinnati, another huge, awesome program. But that wasn't the norm on our schedule, right? Going into next year, that's, that is the schedule. Okay, there's no cupcakes. We're playing all power, playing nine power fives, right, with another power five as a non-conference. So 10 Power 5 games, right? So if we can get to bowl eligibility, that's got to be that's got to be the goal. Anything more than that is gravy. Obviously, I hope that we build ourselves up to that. But with that, this is where the recruiting is coming in. This is where recruiting is such a huge part. Looking into what we've done over the last two cycles, Gus has absolutely ramped up our recruiting to where we're doing the best we ever have. Um, you know, just to give you some indication about where we are with this this signing class that just came through with early signing day. Um, if you would keep Texas and Oklahoma in the Big 12, there's 14 total schools going to be in the Big 12 next year when you include UCF and Houston, Cincinnati, and BYU. Keep Texas and Oklahoma, 14 teams. In terms of just the total value of the recruits that we got, we are 10th out of 14. In terms of the average recruit, okay, which – the average recruiting ranking, right? Each player gets its own ranking. In terms of the average per recruit, we were number we were number seven. And in terms of blue chips, anybody four or five star, we were number we were number five in the league in terms of blue chips. We're right in the middle of the pack here. I think if we can keep this momentum, you know, we're already gonna have close in terms of talent. How'd you feel about the recruiting class? Best recruiting class ever, and 
look, I'm a UCF hardcore guy. I love UCF. I'm an alumni there. And I can't root for the other Florida teams. Unless it's a national championship game, I guess. I might root for them. But other than that, like, I, I don't want to see the Gators do well. I don't want to see Florida State do well. I don't want to see the Hurricanes do well. Or any team in Florida. I just want UCF to be the top dog. So, when we're in the same battlegrounds in Florida for the same players, the same blue chip, four-star players. And it's not just even here in Florida, not to get sidetracked, but Ohio State, Michigan, all these big programs, the schools in Texas, California, USC, they're all trying to recruit our blue chip players because everybody knows. I mean, people had their opinions, but I was guaranteed that the top three states are, are Florida, Texas, and California for kids. So that you're going to think about the whole East Coast, the whole South, from Texas to Florida. They're going to want the Florida kids. I mean, we see it all the time. The best players on teams like Wisconsin are kids from Florida. So we got we have so much challenging there. But the biggest challenge we have is players that want to stay home. And when they mean stay home, they mean to stay home in the state of Florida. So we've always lost these battles to Florida State, to the Gators, to the Hurricanes in the past. I'd have to say that last year, you know, we saw players like Nakai Martinez come that couldn't went to other schools that chose us. But this year, that might have been one player. This year was like, I'd say all these players could have went to all different big-time programs. We have, even our three stars are better than four stars in other states. But with that being said, my biggest kudos was is that we had three players that the Gators would have died for that wanted on their roster. And their fan base is melting right now and complaining about their coach can't recruit. And I'm loving it. You know, thank goodness John Walker came on board. You know, Isaiah Nixon, he flipped over the week of. He was our recruit. The Gators took him from us. And then he came back. Loving that. So, uh, loving those two guys. And there's a third one. Oh, yeah, Tyree Patterson, uh, wide receiver here in Florida. He's going to be a stud at wide receiver. He's been a Gator recruit this whole time. And then literally flipped the week of to UCF. I mean, the Gators are going to say he was processed. Not good enough, but whatever. I know he, they would, he would have been there if, if he wanted to go there. So just that alone, you know, go UCF, not the Gators. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely. Uh, look, I think, you know, a big thing for us, if you look at the team that we had this year, right, what was our, what would our, you say our biggest problem in defense was? In my mind, I think it's our pass rush, right? And, and that, that goes into, that's your linebackers and your D-line. Right. So th- those are those are weak points. The best thing you can have is a run-stopping, pass-rushing front four. Best thing you can have on defense because they're going to disrupt every play. In this class alone, we've got John Walker, Isaiah Nixon, and Kaven Call. If those guys hit the potential that they have, we've got a beast defensive line, and it's going to be anchored by John Walker, who you heard from coach Gus Malzahn he is a program changer he's a guy that is NFL like that's what you're that's what you look for when you look for a guy coming out of high school who you see as a future NFL player that's him and those guys don't always pick to come to a school like UCF and so this just shows how our our overall profile has has gone uh just has, has just continued to elevate a couple of things that I also want to touch on this recruiting class um, you know, we have we were able to flip Randy Pittman, the tight end from Florida State. Thought that was a big win um, for us. Uh, another one, we have uh, one quarterback in the class, Dylan Risk, 
uh, from Cardinal Gibbons in Fort Lauderdale. Um, I think he's going to be a pretty underrated guy. He's a tall, uh, prototypical type quarterback, but he can run. And he took his team, uh, you know, into the the state, the yeah. yeah, state championship deep in the playoffs. And he, I think they were within one win of making it into the state championship. So and that's a legit school. They play legit teams, Cardinal Gibsons. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, anything in Fort Lauderdale or in South in, in South Florida. If you're winning divisions down there, you're playing some of the big big schools in the country. Um, so absolutely, he could be the real deal. Um, and I know that we love Colton Boomer. I think he's a great, great kicker. Um, but you can never have too many good kickers. Uh, we got Grant Reddick, hometown guy, coming out of Boone High School. He's ranked the number nine high school kicker in the country committed to UCF. So I think, you know, again, you can never have too many good kickers. But, you know, it's clear that Gus is trying to get some of these top-rated guys at their position. Yeah, I mean, we know for a fact kicking is important. I mean, we've lost games because our field goal kicker can't, you know, kick a field goal. So, I mean, that's why we're all big fans of Boomer, you know. But you're right. We can't have Reddick. Glad to have Reddick on board. Glad that he's a local kid. You know, I love the state of Central Florida. You know, that's what we're about. The state of Orlando. That's what Gus calls it. And we got some top players here. I'll tell you another player. I just want to give him a shout-out. Braden Marshall. He was the best DB in Orlando. And I said that from his junior year, and I'm glad to have him. The Kai Martinez was the best DB last year. This year was Brandon Marshall. So we got the two best DBs in Orlando coming to UCF. You can't beat that. Yeah, you cannot beat that. So I mean, um, we you know we we got a lot to talk about in this. We're you know we're back guys. Uh, expect a podcast soon. We'll go deeper into the recruits and more other topics. Anything else you want to finish up here with? Yeah, you know, we're, we're in the offseason now, so we're definitely going to be coming out with more offseason related uh, topics. So be on the lookout. Um, you know, most notably, the transfer portal is still open um, and there still is a, uh, a late signing period as well for high school uh, players. There's a, just a couple of recruits out there that UCF is still uh, in the running for. We'll see. Uh, so we will do a deeper dive on recruiting. I know today we didn't talk a lot about transfers in. There's been a couple of really exciting ones, some legacies like Trent Whitmore or a couple of players from, uh, you know, some SEC schools like a Texas A&M, Alabama, Kentucky. Um, you know, we also want to talk about we saw a lot of freshmen that are coming in, you know, given that we're losing some players. Right. I think everybody that's UCF fans aware of some of the bigger recruit or some of the bigger players we're losing, uh, be it Mikey Keene. Or Ryan O'Keefe, Jeremiah Jean Baptiste, or Devontae Brown, right? Matt Lee. Matt Lee. We're going to have to replace those guys. Matt Lee, for anybody that isn't aware, uh, he entered his name surprisingly into the transfer portal and then, as of I believe yesterday, uh, committed to Miami over Oklahoma, where he could have been reunited with Dylan Gabriel. So, really interesting. Uh, we'll dive all into that in a future episode. Um, you know, I also really want to, you know, call out, you know, pay attention to, to some of the other things we're coming out with. We're going to be coming out with an offensive deep dive to take a look at what happened last year and what we can expect from Hinshaw. Same thing from defense. Uh, the Big 12 schedule is coming out in a little bit. We'll do a full breakdown about our first season in the Power Five. Uh, we also got a couple of, uh, you know, potential history episodes where we talk about uh, diving into the history of the bounce house and, uh, you know, maybe going a little bit of the tenure of Darren Hinshaw and see uh, what those teams ultimately look like. Uh, but stay tuned. We're, we're very happy to be back and uh, you know, very grateful to have you listening. With that, I will pass it over to Scott for our Toast of the Nightcap. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram at UCF Nightcap. 
This week's Toast of the Nightcap goes to Jack Hescott. The former tight end passed away on December 6th due to a cardiac event. He was 25 years old. Night Nation, raise a glass to our fallen brother. We'll be back shortly with another episode.